Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Last week, we stopped off in uh, the series, and uh, we're actually, I think we're wrapping up officially this week. I guess we'll see how that goes. But we kind of left off with Luke chapter 16, is that right? Luke chapter 16 and verse 9, and we left off with this sentiment that the Bible was expressing to us, that we are to make for ourselves friends with our money. Now, the, the, the broadest context here, if I were to, to sum it up for you, is that, the, that Luke chapter 16 is really speaking to us that we need to prepare now for what we know is coming. Remember, we talked about this. That this is biblical finances 101, but I'm telling you, it's going, to be, it, it's going to be important for every aspect of your life because it's the, the kingdom values, kingdom principles uh, invade this entire thought process. We prepare now, as we observe the ants, for example, we prepare now for what we absolutely know is coming. Well, how many of you know in Hebrews, it tells us to each of us it's appointed once to die and then comes, so you never read Hebrews? All right, so see, first service didn't do a great job, but I always know that I can look forward to this service because this is where the hungry, powerful people are who actually engage with me. Am I, was I wrong? No. Seems like, Deborah, was that, I'm, this is not right? I'm not wrong. See, I'm not wrong. Yeah, see, so, yeah, we, we, to each of us, it's appointed once to die, and then comes judgment. Uh, so it's safe to say that for every one of us, absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know that we have an appointment with death and eternity, right? And so the Bible admonishes us then that we're to prepare now for what we know is coming. Uh, but recognizing that, that eternity is this elusive, like ethereal type of concept that is really hard for us to get, around, get our minds around on our finiteness. You know, it, it, it's easy for us to well, to not prepare and to, to put off today's work to tomorrow, tomorrow that never seems to come. How in the world do you prepare for something like eternity? Well, one of the ways is we give away our money. This is that sense in which he says, make for, your friend, make for yourself friends with unrighteous mammon. Make for yourself friends with your money, the money that you earn with your income. Actually, sow it, give it away to people and I could be more specific, he's inviting us actually in partnership with him to invest that money in people. See, heavenly investments have rewards attached to them. It's like the heavenly stock market. Now, God is in inviting us to participate in a powerful exchange. We get to sow money into the lives of the people that are around us, and, and, and on that, that investment actually accrues and has dividends attached to it. It stores up for us treasures in heaven. What we do with our time, our talent, and our treasure, we're specifically talking about, uh, now in this side of heaven absolutely matters for all of eternity. Now, for some of you, it, depending on where you are financially, this concept it, it might seem really, really big. In fact, the, the idea that you would be challenged to, to give your money away, it might even seem impossible. I understand. I, I started out at that place as well, hearing these kinds of messages, reading, being admonished by the Lord and the Word to begin to step out when I didn't feel like I had anything. But I, I want to tell you, the Bible doesn't give any room for that excuse. 
We don't read in the text anywhere where it says, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. You just take care of your needs and somebody else will take care of the needs of those people in your sphere of influence. And like You don't have to worry about others. You just, you just consider yourself. Like there's nowhere in scripture that it says that it doesn't say, well, you're, you know, you don't really make that much income with your job, so you're exempt from these words. That's, that's not what it says at all. And so I would assert this morning that what we're talking about is actually normal Christianity for everyone, no matter where you're at on the socioeconomic scale. This is the word of God and it applies, it applies unilaterally across the board. Finances are a big deal to God. In fact, he calls them the starting place. Listen to this next scripture, this first scripture, really. In verse 10, as we continue in Luke chapter 16, he says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in in, in much. Now, uh, like all scriptures, of course, we're talking about money. He's talking about money, the stewardship of, of actual green money. But like all scriptures, this has broad implications. It's, there's a specific point that he's communicating, uh, but there's a broad sense in which he's communicating as well. And so if we step back from it, he's telling us that, that, that faithfulness is rewarded. Like he's calling us into faithfulness to remain faithful and true to him, true to his word. He's calling us into faithfulness, but he's suggesting that there's a reward for our faithfulness. How many of you know that when I'm faithful, however small, as I take a step towards God in faithfulness, he always meets me by taking a step towards me. So, and if God meets me in my faithfulness, you know, how many of you know he's much more gracious? He's very much more affluent than I am. He's way bigger than more capable than I am. He's almighty, all-powerful God. Is that right? And so when I take a small step of faithfulness towards him and he meets me with his faithfulness, he's always meeting me, me with exponentially more than what I have personally invested. There are dividends on my investment of faithfulness, but what's more is this. Did you know that faithfulness is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That means that if you're a born-again believer in here this morning, you have access to the fruit of faithfulness right now. We, we often almost buy into a lie, and there's truth to it, and that's the way that lies usually work, is there's always a lining of truth. We buy into this lie where it's like, I have to grow into my faithfulness. There's a sense in which you will grow in faithfulness, but there's an even larger sense in which because you have Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you, you have access to it right now. Now, how generous is God, I want to submit to you. How generous is God that he calls us to faithfulness, and, and, and when I'm faithful, he, he meets me in my faithfulness, and there's compound interest on it. He's meeting me by being even more faithful, even more abundantly faithful to me in my meager display. Like, how generous is God when the faithfulness isn't even mine to start with, but it's a gift from Holy Spirit because of relationship with him? Do you get that? Like he's saying, look, I'm going to reward your faithfulness. I'm going to reward your meager attempts. But even in your meager attempts, I'm going to empower you to do it. Don't you just love this about God? You know, like, I don't know about you, but there are times when it's like, 
Like God shows up and he does something extravagant and then, and then man applauds you like you did something. Have you ever been in a scenario like that where you're like, I know this wasn't me. Anybody who has a word of wisdom knows this. You're like, listen, I am not wise, but you said something in that moment to that person just in that scenario and you step back even as you're saying it and you're like, that was amazing. Like that was, like anytime you step back and you're like, that was amazing. Like you know it's God and yet the person's like, that was amazing. You know, God is so generous to share that with you. He empowered you in those moments that he released that kindness. He's, and he's so, and he stands with the person going, that was so good. You're just like, it was you all alone. Why are you, like I don't have anything to do with it. You're just so good. This is what we're talking about. His, he always meets me with faithfulness, but he empowers me on the front end to be faithful to start with. You know, so he's giving me everything that I need to be able to step into this equation with him. He's faithful to meet me. And we know in the kingdom that when I'm faithful with the small, he gives me a little bit more to be faithful with. Isn't that right? So I'm faithful with my small measure. He releases a reward in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. So there's, there's a reward awaiting me post-judgment and death. And as I step into that side of eternity, there's a reward waiting for me in heaven, a reward that's based upon my faithfulness, a reward that's based upon what I'm actually doing with my time, talent, and treasure. You know, we die and then comes judgment. What's a judgment for a believer when Jesus Christ has already covered my sins? Well, the judgment is what did you do with your life? What did you do with your money? Right? So there's a reward laid up in, in heaven for me. And when I'm faithful with a little bit, like part of the reward that he releases to me on earth is that I get a little bit more to be faithful over. He gives me charge over more when I'm faithful with the small. And so I'm faithful with the small. He gives me a bigger portion to manage. But when I was faithful with the small, I, I have treasure now in heaven. And then he releases to me more to manage. And when he releases more for me to manage, I get even more in heaven. And it's just this compounding thing that happens as he meets me with faithfulness and as I step out with my meager attempts to be faithful, a good steward with that which he's entrusted me. And he gives me more and the more continues to compound and he continues to meet me step by step. Don't you just love God's math? He is incredibly generous. Do you remember the story of the talents and the minas? We've talked about it a couple of times. Let's look at Luke, Luke chapter 19. In verse 17, he said, he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful and a very little thing, but, excuse me, be in authority, he's now declaring over him, be in authority over 10 cities. Now, the, the mina was uh, really to boil it down to make it short, it was currency, it was money. In effect, it boiled down to this was money. And so he had these stewards that he released financial resources to. And when they were a good steward, he actually released something more than money. He released to them stewardship over cities. Now, that's fascinating. We're, we want to get into that just a little bit. But we, we, we oftentimes, we think when we're, the sense in which we're, we're reaping and sowing, it's like, I'm going to sow money and I'm going to reap money. And, and while that's true, there's so much more to be gained when we partner with God and we begin to walk according to his ways. There's so much more that he wants to release to us. And part of what's being described here is that there's a release of authority to lead people. 
Now, the other thing that we notice is that these scriptures, this one and the one above it in Luke, actually begin to uh, speak to the very same thing. Notice that both of them say uh, a very little thing. It's referring to money as a very little thing. Now, how many of you feel like money is a very little thing? Let me amplify it. (laughs) You're good. Let me amplify it. In the Greek, the word there, very little thing, actually is the least of things. The new, rather, Old King James uh, gets this correct in its translation. Uh, it, it means it's absolutely and utterly the least of things. There's nothing that can be less than this. God is telling us that money, I want you to really get a hold of this. God is telling us that money is, there's nothing less than this. This is the starting place. There, there's nothing behind it. Sometimes we question, what do, you, what do we disciple people in when they first get saved? Well, God's telling us now that money, our finances, this is the least of things. So it sounds to me like this is a pretty good starting point for discipleship, don't you? Don't you think? It's the least of things. It says it's the, the smallest of things, money. I don't know, except for Richard, I, it feels sometimes like the, the money's a big thing. I mean, it pays for my utilities, right? It puts a roof over my house. I, you know, I, uh, it, it puts gas in my car. bought the car, too. Uh, and, and how many of you like this? It actually provides for my entertainment. Yeah, there's three or four of us here who enjoy that part. I went to the movies over the weekend. Actually, compliments of somebody else. Thank you, Jesus. That was wonderful. But that's entertainment, right? Money bought that. It feels to me like money's attached to everything. I mean, we even talk about this, like this church, the money built this thing, the, 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 the message, it advances on the back of money. Like we do stuff with cameras and we put out social media, all of that started by, by money. It feels to me like this side of heaven, like money is a big deal. And yet Jesus is saying it's the least of things. How many of you know the kingdom of God is often an upside down kingdom? It's the opposite of what we experience in this world. And I would suggest to you that if God is suggesting that in his worldview, that money is the least of things, then in our worldview, in this earth, we should begin to line up with him. See, it's a starting place for more in God. It's a starting place for measuring where we're at and the faithfulness that we're going to walk in. How we spend our money determines whether or not God can trust us. Did you know that? How we spend our money determines whether or not God can trust us. What did he say? He said, where your treasure is, there where you'll, there your, I can't expect you to say it, I can't even say it right. There, were, there your heart will be also. I'll get it spit out eventually. It's a test. Money is a test of my heart. Next scripture, verse 11, he says, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, that's just your money, who will entrust you with true riches? Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? See, money is a, is a test. It's a, it's a starting place for more with God. But the good news is he's already given us a cheat sheet. He's already given us the answers. We say, well, what do, what do you mean? If, if, if money is the test, he's already told us what we're supposed to do with it in order to pass the test. Well, what are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to invest it in people. 
mean, if, if you were born into a family and you were to follow in the footsteps of your father who was a rich philanthropist, what does a rich philanthropist do? They give away money, right? Uh, so as a son coming in under a rich philanthropist and taking on their legacy, what do you think you're supposed to do? <laughs> give away your money. We, we've already been given the answers to the test. Now, unfaithfulness with our money looks like me not considering others. It looks like I'm just taking care of myself. Unfaithfulness in finances means that I'm not sowing with generosity to the people that are around me. And you can do that in a variety of different ways. I know the Smales are some of the most generous people I've ever met. Buy groceries for people. All kinds of crazy stuff that they'd be embarrassed if I told you about. You know, the fastest way in our culture to unfaithfulness with the money that we earn on our jobs is to live outside of our means. If I'm living outside of my means, I don't have the ability to sow into anybody else or to see what's happening around me whatsoever. I'm, I can only look at myself because I'm already overextended. That just simply means I'm spending more money than what I have coming in. Well, according to this scripture, that impacts my eternity with God. Does that sound like a big deal? It's a big deal. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm living within my means, so I've got a few things figured out with debt and financial management and stuff like that, but I'm still not tithing and I'm not offering. See, the Bible in Malachi chapter 3 combines those two things. It says, why would you rob God? You're robbing him in tithes and offerings. It was both and. It's always meant to be both and. It's still both and. And I can live within my means. I can be out of debt. And I can, the money that I have coming in, we spend upon ourselves. And I still can't be trusted with true riches, the Bible says. There's only one way forward. There's only one way this works. And it's not to live within my means. It's to live under my means. See, the resources that we gain on our job were never intended to be exclusively for us. And so if we're not at a place where we can live under our means, no matter where we are on the socioeconomic scale, we need to scale back and get some things figured out so that we can both tithe and offer. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found robbing God. And, and what's more is, he says, that this is how you pass the test. This is how, at least one of the ways that I store up for myself treasure in heaven. So in other words, I, this is going to impact my eternity with God. And he's saying, you've got a date with eternity. I'm requiring you, I'm admonishing you, begin to prepare now for what you know is coming. Preparing now for what is coming means I have to throttle back. I have to live better than in my means. I have to live under them so that I can begin to be used by God in a way that really does and truly store up for myself treasure in heaven. Now it talks about true riches. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, your money, who will entrust you with true riches? Well, what is true riches? Man, this is something I have wrestled with over the years at various points of my history and and it's just, I go after it, and I pray about it, I'm asking the Lord, and I'm wrestling. I, mean, I tell you what, it is, it is not as easy as you might think. You'd think it was as easy as doing a quick Google search, what are true riches? You know, and, and they were like, it's this, here are the scriptures. I, it's almost impossible to find that. There are some people who try to give some idea. Uh, some of them doesn't really flesh out very good. 
And it's something I've wrestled with over the years. And I, and I think the reason is because the answer is so, so multifaceted. It's like what are true riches? I think there are numerous things on God's heart that describe the reality of what that is. Uh, we know this. We know he's making a contrast between our natural money you know, and, and the money that we've got, or rather the riches that we have stored up for us in heaven. So it can't be my earthly money in that sense. He has to be talking about something else. And a number of scholars have come into agreement believing that what he's referring to is heaven. And in this sense, if we follow that logic, what it's suggesting to us is that everything that we do right now on this side of heaven, in other words, on earth, in my earthly life, in this body, in my flesh, is actually preparing me for my eternity. It's preparing me for heaven. Now, we know that, but I'm attaching that specifically to this scripture Right, like, and, and so then any sense in which he's saying, if you're unfaithful with that which is another's, how will we give you that which is your own? It, what he's referring to is, uh, to be unfaithful, of course, this side means that I'm, that I'm not preferring others. I'm not considering others. I'm not living under my means. I'm, I'm not a, being generous. I'm not living that kind of lifestyle. And thus, I'm not actually storing up for myself treasures in heaven that would be my own. I don't fully get my head around that. But in, in essence, that's, what it's implying here. There are riches and we're not stepping into it. And then in Colossians, we're admonished, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that the Lord will receive the... Excuse me, I'm going to read that again. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than, the, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Now, notice specifically that there's a reward that's waiting. We alluded to that just a little bit ago, right? We, we all know that we will die and then comes judgment. There will be a time when, as a Christian, I have to stand before God and I give an account. Now, Jesus Christ has already covered me as it relates to my sin, not that that's a license, Romans tells us. You know, he's, but he's already covered me, so I'm not going to be judged as it relates to my sin, but I am going to be judged based on what I actually did with my life, whether good or bad. So the, the things that I'm putting my hand to, like the stewardship of my calling, the, the stewardship of even sin in my life and going after the flesh, like there's a sense in which I'm going to be called to account for what I did, both good and bad, and he's suggesting that there's a reward that's there for the faithful. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have that reward. Right? It's clear we're not talking about salvation because salvation's not a reward. A reward comes for somebody who's done a good job. I can't do enough to get saved. I can't do enough good things to receive salvation from God. I just have to say yes and dive in. Give up my life and my rights. Right? We're talking about a reward, a heavenly reward that's there awaiting all of those who are faithful. Now, God is abundantly generous. Because I think that there's not only a heavenly reward, but there's an earthly reward that's attached to our faithfulness, especially even as we're talking in context about the faithfulness and finances. I want to take a dive into this in 2 Corinthians. Where are we at here? Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to how this unfolds. He says, Now this I say to you that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now that's a law of God, sowing and reaping, Right? We reap within proportion of, of what we sow. So if I sow little, I'll reap little. If I sow a lot, I'll reap a lot. Does that make sense? Right? If I sow, a, actually, you always, it always sows in multiplication. I sow 100 seeds of plants, I, I reap three or 400. 
right? This is the way it works. Why? Because God always meets my faithfulness, right? Now I say to you that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, there's a sense in which we've already discussed where we're storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven, so we know that our faithfulness on earth is storing up bountiful riches, if you will, in heaven, in heavenly places for my eternity. But again, there is a sense in which this unfolds in our own life. Verse 7, this side of heaven. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what that tells us? It tells us that the issue of giving is actually a heart issue. Oh my gosh, pastor's going after money again. Oh, I hate when they have a guest speaker. They always take up an offering. Can't they just do anything for free? Is nothing free in this life? Not even at church? Oh, they're doing a building campaign. What's wrong with our building? I see empty seats on Sunday. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's that same homeless guy begging me at McDonald's again. Heck no, I'm not going to give to you. (laughs) Why would I give to you? I have needs of my own. Man, if there's stuff that trips you when it comes to the conversation on finances, if there are things that, that, that when you mention it, like it causes resistance in your heart immediately, I, I want to suggest to you, you've got to do business with God on it. You've got to go back before God and say, Lord, are there lies that I'm believing about the topic of money? Well, I just I don't believe that you're really going to show up. Now you get to deal with that lie. I really don't believe that you're faithful. How many of you know these are lies against God's character? You think that's a big deal to God? Money gives us an opportunity to address the stuff of our heart, and, and maybe our lies are about people. You know, well, people are always unfaithful with money. You know, sometimes we identify lies that we believe by emphatic words like always. Women, always. I, I, I actually saw some, guy, I saw some guys actually slither a little bit. There's these. Men are always. You never. You know, these kinds of words sometimes have a way of revealing to us what's in our heart. The issue of finances is a heart issue. And we've got to do business with God to get that stuff sorted out first and foremost because he says it's with our money that we're storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven for eternity. It's with our money that we're making decisions now that will make an impact forever. We can't let some lie that we're believing twist us up to a place where we don't actually get the compound interest that God said is is laid up for the account of those who are faithful. You've got to do business. And if this is the starting point, if he says like, hey, in your faith, the least of things, it can't get any smaller than this, it's finances. Did I speak to that? I did, didn't I? If that's the starting point, if that's the least of things, and we never as Christians graduate beyond the, oh, there's tension in my heart about giving my money away. We're in trouble, guys. If that's the starting place, he'll never trust me with true riches. And as I suggested, I think that's a multifaceted idea. 
Because as I ponder it, I think to myself, is there anything worth more than a human being to God? Consider that for a minute. What are true riches? What are, what would, what would, what are true riches to God? Would it be people, maybe? I think that's part of it. Well, why do you say that? Because he gave everything for you and me. You don't give everything for something that has no value. So people are riches to God. And he says that if I can't get my financial house in order, that he's not going to entrust people to me. See, we talked about this a second ago with the parable of the minas. He gave them all an insignificant amount of money, but when they stewarded their finances well, he gave them charge of cities. What are cities? They're people. And I want to suggest to you that, that if you feel like you've always had a roadblock in your life, you're like, I've never advanced in ministry. I, I just, I feel, like I, I feel like I'm supposed to lead, but I just have I just, like, no opportunities to do so. I feel like I'm supposed to be an influencer among people, but it feels like the door slams in my face every time. Maybe the issue is your stewardship of finances. If that's the starting place and, and people are part of the riches that God entrusts to us, I would say that may be precisely the issue. We've got to get our house in order if we're going to change this world. They'll know you by your love for one another. Your treasure demonstrates where your heart is. They'll know you by your love for one another. Do you see how these concepts begin to link together? One of the ways that we love one another is to be generous and kind, to actually look up and see those that are around us and to steward our money like our father really is, a rich philanthropist. Is this making sense this morning? Verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Uh, this is, again, a multifaceted word, as the Greek often is. I want you to think of this word grace here in terms of favor and empowerment. So God's going to make all grace abound to you. Then, then the word abound is one of those abundantly beyond you can ask or think words because it's, it means super abound, which I recognize still is not a very good English word. But in effect, it means I'm going to give you more than you need, right? So and God is able to make all grace, so he's empowering you. He's releasing favor in every context of your life. He's making it abound to you so that you have more than enough of what you need to accomplish whatever he has in front of you. So we settle the issue of finances in our heart. We begin to step into a lifestyle of generosity. God meets us there in that place, and he meets us with his faithfulness, which means he's meeting me and multiplying what my meager attempt at faithfulness with more, right? He breathes on it supernaturally, and then he begins to release fruit to it. We see that in the next couple of verses. Listen to this. It says, so that, and I guess I could read it all together, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that... Always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Wow, that's the word of God. So you're being taken care of by God. You're living under your means, and he's allowing you to be the blessing to other people so that through you, he can take care of his kids. It says, from the bosom of man, they will give unto you. Right? It's through people. God uses people. That's what he does. 
He so values you that he, ch- he chooses to limit his magnificence across the earth and the efficiency through which that he can move and the power through which he can move to invite you to the table. And so he's suggesting to you that if you step in, you deal with the issues of your heart on the front end, you take him solidly at his word, that he's going to meet you in that place. He's going to breathe on what you're doing. He's going to breathe on your meager efforts and he's going to take care of you and he's going to take care of others that are around you when you step into this. Now, it says that you will be available, that you will be equipped such that you could generously address all the good deeds that come to you, right? Now, we like to make doctrine about this. We like to, we like to explain these kinds of you know, lofty verses away. We're like, well, there's been lots of needs around me, and I can't address them all. I got everything from kids starving in Africa to you know, my next-door neighbor. There's a whole lot of stuff in between that I can't take care of. But you know, I think what we miss when we begin to think through these scriptures, we're like, I don't think this stuff works, is that sowing and reaping happens within proportion of the sowing. My reaping is in proportion to my sowing. If I have needs, this upside-down kingdom is seeming to suggest to me that my needs are actually met by me engaging with God and sowing and reaping. We're like, I've got this huge need in this gap. Everybody needs to give to me. God's saying, no, step into this and trust me in this. Sow the mice, my money anyways. Sow it, step into generosity and activate something in your life whereby I can show up and I can begin to breathe on your fruit and also take care of you. Why do we have need? I wonder how much of the time our need is in direct proportion to the fact that we have not engaged with God on this level with our finances. I have these needs in my life because I haven't been faithful with money. Notice it doesn't tell us to give here to our own detriment either. I I kind of crossed over that, but there's a sense in which there's sacrificial giving. There's the Lord commends the widow and her might and things of that nature. We have to be led by Holy Spirit. But this is the thing. I think this is why we have fear on the subject. We believe it's like, oh, if I, if I, if I give, I'm not going to have anything. If, even though I feel like you're saying to give, but I just can't logically make it all work. So I'm going to not be obedient in that area. But he's not suggesting you're going to give to your detriment and then you're going to have lack. He's suggesting you have to give and then he'll meet you. Isn't this what it says in Malachi chapter 3? A few weeks ago we talked about it, the foremost scripture on tithing. Oftentimes in our hearts we say something like, well, when my finances break open, then I'll start tithing and offering. That's what I'll do. The kingdom is upside down. That's not what it says. It says, when you give, then he'll come and rebuke the devourer. You know, then he'll bless your finances. Then he'll release heaven over you. But you initiated it by trusting him and stepping out on the waters in faith. Do you see that? Are you alive? (laughs) 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, notice it's both provision and blessing to give, right? So we have money and provision. He will supply and multiply your seed, that's your money, for sowing. What's he supplying and multiplying your seed for? For sowing. Sometimes we get crossed up in this American mindset, starting to believe that we just need to build a bigger barn. There's a parable for that one too. (laughs) And sometimes, because you've been faithful with the small, 
you get to build a bigger barn so that you can give more, but you still got a bigger barn out back. But do you see the difference? The parable we're referencing is a guy who built his barns and made it all about him. I'll just build a bigger barn. I'll just store more stuff in there. And he says, this day you're going to be, your life is going to be called to account. And what is he saying? Eternity was coming and you didn't prepare. You didn't have any lamp oil. You didn't have any oil in your lamp. You thought it was all about an earthly legacy, but there was an inheritance that should have been stored up and waiting for you. You did nothing about it. You just built a bigger barn. See, I think God wants to build bigger barns so that he can use you to build bigger projects, so he can use you to release bigger blessings. How many of you would love to be the kind of person who you know, gives away $10,000? It starts with giving away one. Well, when I get $10,000, no. Because if you won't give the one and the five and the 10 and the 100 and the 500, you're never going to get to the 10,000. He'll never be able to trust you. Now, he who supplies... Seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I think this could be super confused. It's not as if I'm getting more righteous. He's simply suggesting that your giving is a righteous act. What is a righteous act? It's something that is right before God. So I'm stepping into a right act before God, and he's breathing on it. That's what it says there. He's going he's to increase the harvest. How many of us have ever withdrawn giving? Maybe we felt prompted. Maybe we just simply were moved by human compassion, but we withdrew our giving because we felt like the person we were giving to would squander it. Like, I don't know, Lord. They're going to just drink it up. Or that, that person's not being faithful with their finances. That's why their lights got turned off. I'm not going to give to that. Not giving good money after bad. Oh, but gosh, I've said it. I've done it. What does this say? It says that when I line my heart up and I step into a righteous act, the righteous act of recognizing there are people in need and giving towards that need, which starts with intentionality in my finances long before that. When I do that, it says he will breathe on what I have sowed and he will be the one who brings it to fruitfulness. See, I don't have to worry about all that. Oh, that minister, that minister fell. Doggone it, I gave that ministry money. That was a waste of money. No, it's the Lord's responsibility to breathe on it, not yours. Your responsibility is to be faithful on the front end. Verse 11, you will be enriched, and this is where I wanted to get to today. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality or generosity, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in everything. We started out with this contrast where he says, man, if you're not faithful with your money, then who's going to give you true riches, right? We're not going to trust you with true riches. So there was this dichotomy between earthly money, the stuff that I earn in my job, and this thing called true riches, which we've just barely even touched on today, actually, right? So we knew starting out that it wasn't earthly money, but what I want you to see here with this is that God links the spiritual and the natural, He links them together. Out of absolute abundant generosity, God doesn't just leave you with some like 
intangible investment that's in heaven someday where it's like, I, I, I hope this is right. I don't know. I've sowed all this money into my eternity. I don't know. I can't see it. There's no way to know. Right? He actually attaches the spiritual to the natural. He says, not only will you store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, but when you engage me with faithfulness and righteousness in your finances, I'll meet you on earth as well. What does it mean to be enriched? It literally says, in the Greek, it literally means to be made rich in everything. How many of you know when you're faithful with God in your finances, he releases favor over your life? There's a reward for those who are faithful in their finances. And I think I'll submit to you for my own life, my own experience. I think part of the reward is not only that he releases influence over people and, and all those kinds of things. releases, you know, I, th- I think there's a greater measure of the Holy Spirit to be had. There was something else amazing that I had in my mind. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Whatever. Sometimes it just, just goes away. Yes, thank you, Jesus. How many of you know he still speaks today? I think he releases wisdom to gain wealth. I think he releases wisdom to you. Sometimes we just have this like miracle mentality where we're like, I'm going to sow my tithe and God's going to back the truck up tomorrow. And instead, he sends somebody along your path to go, uh, hey, maybe you ought to get out of debt, burn up those credit cards. And you're like, that's stupid. Why would I do that? It's like you got an immediate return on your financial investment in the kingdom because he released wisdom to you. And what happens when you step out in, fi- in faithfulness? He meets you. Right? There's always compound interest on our faithfulness. I, I think he releases peace to us. Isaiah 53 even talks about that being part of what was given to us on the cross through this, this shalom, the chastisement of our shalom was upon him. There's a sense in which there's the release of peace over our earthly relationships and even war and all this stuff. There's a sense in which our stewardship with finances, I think, opens up the way for that favor and relationships and ultimately breakthrough, breakthrough over that which we're contending for. Who wouldn't want what I'm describing this morning? I mean, who wouldn't want it? Who wouldn't want the? It's like, wait, let's, so you're, let me get this right. I mean, like, if, if you had some guy off of Wall Street who like, had a, an amazing track record, billionaire, and he came up to you and he was like, if you invest your money in this thing right here, it's 100% guaranteed without fail, and somehow he could make that guarantee. It's 100% guaranteed without fail, this thing is going to multiply and it's going to set you up for retirement. Some of you are like, I still wouldn't do it because I don't trust people. No, I'm saying it's 100% guaranteed. We would do it, right? I guess the only question we're left with is, do we believe the word? Do we really believe that God's going to do what he said? See, as a way of reminder, again, Malachi 3, this is the only area that we get to test God. It says, test me in this. I'm inviting you to be faithful, but I guarantee you I'm going to back up my word. Test me. Test me in this. See if I won't release wisdom. See if I won't rebuke the devourer. See if I won't make the shoes of your feet last longer than they should have. See if I won't give you $3 shirts that should have been 65. Boy, I've got that favor. I love that. I'll take more Jesus. I need some jeans. See if I won't make the tires on your car last longer than they're supposed to. Your gas mileage be better. I've just seen so many things where he shows up with faithfulness and he releases back abundantly beyond I could ask or think.
Who wouldn't want that? Just have to believe him, take him at his word, and step out. Amen? Father, we submit ourselves to you, our minds. Give us grace. You have given us grace. We're asking maybe, I don't know, I don't know that we need more. You said you were already meeting us with that. And so I guess with your grace, God, we just say we're committed to be faithful. We're committed to be obedient. We're committed to be led by your Holy Spirit. We're committed to take you at your word. We trust you. We trust in your goodness. We trust in your faithfulness. We don't trust in the dollar. We don't trust in the provision. We trust in you. We trust that you are who you say you are. That you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And Jesus, I'm sure there's not a person in this room who doesn't want more. (laughs) You said we've got to be faithful with the small first. Help us right where we're at. And would you define for us faithfulness? How many of you know, as you grow in affluence, your giving when you were less affluent, like it shouldn't be the same? Your giving should actually be growing with you? Help us to understand what faithfulness at our specific level looks like. Man, maybe it's a buck. It's an ice cream cone for somebody. For some of us, maybe we're already at the $10,000 mark. But we've been too fearful. We just didn't trust you, even though you've been so faithful. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see where we're at. What does faithfulness with your money look like for where we are at right now? We don't want to be the people who build bigger barns and just consider only our own lives. We want to be faithful, God. And I bless those that are here and within the sound of my voice to be able to walk it out in a way that the world sees that we love one another with extravagant and abundant love, the same kind of love that you loved us with. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarnsburg.com. We hope to see you soon.